is the Thoughts from a Page podcast, which is now a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each episode I interview authors about their latest works or others in the book world about their roles, what those roles entail, and the books they love. For more book recommendations, check out my earlier episodes and my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Thoughts From a Page. Thanks to Maggie Garza of HTX Real Estate Group for sponsoring my podcast. Today, I am interviewing Bobby and Cheryl Love about the redemption of Bobby Love. Bobby was born in Greensboro, North Carolina. He is a husband, a father, and a church deacon. Cheryl was born in Brooklyn, New York. She is a wife, a mother, and a nutrition coordinator. The Loves currently split their time between Brooklyn and the metro Atlanta area. The Loves live in the heart of Brooklyn, so there is evidence of the big city life present in the interview. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Good morning, Cheryl and Bobby. How are you all today? All right. We're doing good. Well, I really, really enjoyed your story, The Redemption of Bobby Love, and I'm looking forward to speaking with you both about it. Okay, great. Thank you. Well, why don't we start out with one of you giving me kind of a quick synopsis of the book for those that won't have read it. Okay. So our book is about from when we were young, starting out uh, how Bobby started and how he got into, you know, life crime. And my story also, it tells, talks about my, me being young and what I was doing at the, that time. And then it goes on into the escape and what happened when the uh, police officers came and knocked on our door <laughs> that morning, that dreadful morning. Also, then it goes on into how we stayed together. And how you worked through kind of learning secrets and reconciling your past and all of that, or reconciling Bobby's past or your lives together, correct? Correct. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I walk with God also. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I liked that portion of the story, Bobby, when you were talking about how that kind of helped you reframe everything and realize you needed to sort of go in a different direction. Yes. So Cheryl, do you still have nightmares about that morning? Not anymore. I I think about it from time to time, but now it's like when I think about that, it's like, wow, all that happened. It was part of our journey, a part of my journey. And look where it is, where it has gotten us to right now better relationship, easier to talk to, no secrets, you know, being truthful. You talk a little bit about that in the book, how you always felt that maybe there was some kind of secrecy or something that Bobby wasn't telling you. Mm -hmm. So getting that out into the open probably did really help your relationship. Yes, absolutely. I always felt there was something like, you know, there were times you would be talking and then Bobby would just shut down and wouldn't want to talk anymore or wouldn't be affectionate. And I'm thinking, you know, well, do you have another family somewhere? I asked him, did he have a family somewhere? But I never saw any evidence of that, you know? And he was like, no, I don't have anybody else. I'm, I'm happy here. And But I just felt like there was always something he was keeping from me. And another thing, he didn't like to take pictures. And that was a little off to me, you know? But as I talked to my girlfriends and my friends, they, my um, godmother and he was like, are you kidding me? Bobby works two and three jobs, Cheryl. He's, <laughs> he's, he's there with you. He's, he cooks, he cleans, he, he helps you out. You, you, you're spending too much time thinking about that. Stop. 
I love when you relay that conversation, like, is he doing drugs? Is he, right. you know, all these things? And, and you're like, no. And they're like, well, then what is the problem? <laughs> but, you know, sometimes you just have that sense yeah. that something's a little off. And over time, you think, I guess I better just leave it alone. I'm not going to find out anything else. And maybe I wouldn't want to know what it is. You know, I just went, changed the furniture around, uh, looked for new recipes, things like that, because he wasn't trying to leave or anything. He said he was happy. So I just worked it out. And not just me. I mean, I prayed. I was praying every day. And because I would have this recurrent dream that he had this rope, thick rope coming out of his mouth, you know? And so that also let me know he's hiding something from me. But I don't know. I just left it alone. Well, and in the end, I think secrets just can't stay hidden forever. That's right. You know, Bobby, I had a question for you. Did you constantly worry about your prior life or over time, did it just sort of recede into the background? It receded into the background. I was uh, just living and working and, you know, taking care of my kids, trying to give my kids as much as I could. I tried to give them the things that they uh, they needed for school and, you know, for other things. And a lot of the things that they wanted, I used to buy them, you know, these sneakers and I'm like, wow, I'm buying you these sneakers and I don't have a pair of sneakers like this for this kind of money. <laughs> I mean, uh, it was all good and I I just didn't, uh, I didn't have a feeling of anything or anybody looking for me, no. Well, and what about getting used to a new name? I was thinking about that. You talk a little bit about somebody saying your name initially and you didn't respond, but how long did it take you to get used to going by Bobby instead of Walter? Uh, getting back to Walter Curtis Miller, I never used Walter Curtis Miller in terms of um, when I was coming up. My name was uh, Buddy as a nickname, and then my name was Curtis. Walter, I did not like. That makes sense. You know, I think people, my given name is Cynthia, and I've never liked it, and I've always gone by Cindy. And so I was <laughs> thinking a little bit how. Even when people now say Cynthia, I don't respond, not because I don't like the name, but because I don't even think of it as my name. So I just was kind of wondering when you switched from Buddy or Curtis to Bobby, how long it took for you to be like, oh, they're talking to me. Well, it took a minute. I can say that I was around 42nd Street. Nobody knew me at at that time. But in time, when I would go up to, uh, I worked up there in uh, Monticello, New York for about six weeks. I told people my name up there. And, uh, you know, I was all around kitchen help up there, you know, had a room and board and everything like that, you know, but I just didn't have enough days to work. But I can remember being called buddy and they say, I'm talking to you. Uh, And they would say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I just called you and you didn't respond, you know, and uh, they said uh, they called me Bobby and I'm not really, uh, you know, hearing it or, or responding to the guy, so. Well, that's what I was wondering, that people were kind of saying, well, why aren't you responding to your own name? <laughs> right, right. Well, what about deciding to write the book? Cheryl, you talk a little bit about how this was all difficult initially in terms of the privacy and you're a private person. Mm-hmm. You didn't really want your story out, but that you felt you needed to, to make sure that you could get Bobby back. But what about trying to write the book then? Was that hard for you? Right. At the beginning, I did not want to write <laughs> anything. I didn't want anybody to know anything. I just wanted to just go on with our lives. Bobby was out, you know, on parole. And so let's just pick up from there and we leave. Nobody has to know anything. Whoever knew something, let them know that's okay, but nobody else. That's how I felt. I mean, I remember even going 
to work and going out to lunch. And this woman kept looking at me and she's like, hi, is your name? Uh, she says, you look so familiar. Is your name Cheryl Love? And I said, no, ma'am. So <laughs> That must be someone else. <laughs> no, that was, that's not me and just left it like that. So I didn't really want anything to come out of it. But um, what happened one day after the story of Humans of New York came out, I was sitting down in my basement talking to my daughter and she said to me, mommy, have you read some of these comments people are writing about you? And I said, oh, brother, no. And I don't, I'm not going to read them. And so she said, Ma, you really need to read them. So she left and I sat down and I really looked at all those comments. I was like, oh, my God. I just boohooed and cried. I said, God, you are really healing me. You're healing me of this right now. This isolation that I felt like not letting anybody know. I said, this story has to be told. Thank you, Miss Cheryl, for opening up and speaking about this. You are helping me um, in my relationship. And thank you. We have a voice as women and we have to speak out. And then I was telling Bobby, Bobby, there was even this um, people writing you and saying, they were saying things like this gentleman, he said he was about to commit suicide. But when he was heard the story, read that story in Humans of New York, he said, it just changed my whole attitude about everything. I'm not even going through half of this stuff you guys went through. So that gave him encouragement to keep on going, you know, that there's light at the end of the tunnel. And like everybody has a past, you know? Exactly. And they do. And sometimes kind of overcoming that fear of your story being out and people knowing it is a good thing because it kind of helps you continue to heal and move forward. So what was it like doing Humans of New York? It was funny. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> when, uh, when we met Brandon, Brandon um, came in and, you know, I'm not sure what we was expecting him to, you know, look like and wear or whatever like that. But he came into our apartment, he Very took his shoes off, you know, he got himself real comfortable, you know. And he was uh just the first time we met, he he interviewed me. And um so the man that became my manager, he had already Googled me. My son in law had told him about my past. And then when Brandon got here, he had already Googled also. And so Brandon sat down and he said, Tell me about this story, man, all these things that you did and all these periods and stuff like that. And I would say to him, okay. And uh, we went from there, but he just made it funny. Well, good. I think it's such a wonderful series. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Well, tell me about the format of the book. So you go back and forth with each chapter with both of you telling your story. How did that come about? Okay, Lori, she, she did a, you know, before we got started, she interviewed both of us. And she told us what she would be doing and how she would be bringing it together. She asked her, you know, any questions and as to how she was going to do what she was going to do. She said that we were going to, you know, highlight, you know, parts of your life. You can highlight this part or if you don't want to highlight that part, you know, it's okay. You know, she said, I'm, I'm, I'm sure with 30 years, we're going to have more than enough material <laughs> to, uh, you know, do the book. So we said, okay. And, you know, she, she structured it the way that um, she felt that the readers would really read it and, and, and like it. Well, I think she did a great job because I felt it was wonderful to have both sides of your story. Each of you telling your individual story kind of as the time frame that each chapter took place in. Right, right. So in 2021, it's hard to imagine being able to walk into a social security office and get a new card like you did. 
That's just sort of mind boggling. And same with being able to escape and then no one finding you with social media and cameras everywhere. It's amazing how much the world has changed. Yes, it is. I just can't even imagine that social security experience. Right. (laughs) I just saw the office and walked in there one day, not thinking that I was going to get a card, you know, handed to me that day. I said that I I gave her my address where I had used to live in uh, Washington, D.C. And uh, so she said, you got to go down there to get the card. I said, yes. And I said, asked her how long it would take. You know, I figured it would take anywhere from four to six weeks, you know. But she said, no, I'll give it to you today. <laughs> and I said, okay. And she gave it to me. It really is something. I mean, you think what, what a change computers and the internet and social media have made in our lives. If you walk now into, you don't even probably walk into the social security office. It's all online. Really kind of crazy to think about. Well, one of the things I wondered about, and you address it a tiny bit in the note at the beginning of the book, but whenever you write a memoir, there are other people involved. And so you mentioned that some people maybe didn't want their story told. Did you approach a variety of people or did you all just decide to tell your story and not kind of get involved with other people's stories? How did you handle all of that? My friends said to me that their families, just like me, hadn't told all of their stories So I had to kind of tread carefully. I mentioned to Lori, it was me and such and such. You know, she said, well, I'll put a little bit in here and change the name. So that's what I did in terms of the people that I spoke about. What I did, I just told my truth. And I said, well, let the chips fall where they may, you know. But I did have to change some things, like people's names and things. We didn't use that their names exactly. But I let my girlfriends know who I've been friends with for like since forever. So since public school, that's pretty, that's a long time. So they kind of know, but then they know it's not their names, you know, in the book. How has everyone responded to the book? Oh, everything has been been (laughs) beautiful Um, so far. I've gotten quite a few phone calls from friends and relatives telling me that, man, I can't put this book down, man. It was written so nice, man. It's, it's really nice, man. You know, you, the lady did a good job. Y'all did a good job. I love that. And I love that you, you ended up with a book. I mean, did you ever think as you were going through your life that you would end up with this story out in the world? It, it was something that I had wanted to do from a long time ago. When I first started uh, myself, well, we had just gotten married. And uh, I bought me a, a, a notebook, and I was just, you know, writing stuff. And I told Cheryl not to bother, not to read it, but she <laughs> read it anyway. And uh, it started with a song from, by Stevie Wonder. And um, I just wrote in there about uh, living for the city. And, you know, it was, it was a part in there about how I'm in New York now, you know, skyscrapers and everything like that. So when Cheryl read that, she said, oh, what are you talking about? I, you know, she wanted to know. I said, what is what this? I, I said, meaning. that's Stevie Wonder's song, Bobby. What you writing here? And I, but I knew he wanted, he did tell me that he wanted to write a book. And I just thought that was nice. But we first got married. I said, oh, that's so nice. And, you know, he had this little green tablet that he kept up in the closet there. And I said, let me look in this book. And I looked and I saw those things like that. But I never thought that was about about him, you know. I I, I did not put those things together. 
Well, then it has to be a pleasant surprise, Bobby, after all this time of wanting to write a book to actually have one out in the world. Yes. Very happy about uh, all the, um, everything that has come you know, with the book and everything like that. We worked with Laurie, I think it was like almost three months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's not too bad. A lot of times it can take a really long time. So three months isn't too bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We worked two hours a day. Sometimes it was longer. Yeah. You know, you know, because of the pandemic, we had to, um, you know, do it over a computer. Was there anything that surprised you both while you were writing the book? Anything that kind of came out that you hadn't known about the story or learned about each other as you were going through this whole experience? Well, for me, myself, I was just saying, and telling Bobby after each session that I did with Lori, or even me and Lori would cry and certain things. And I would be like, wow, that's why this, or that's why I felt like this, or, you know, and I would tell him, I said, Bobby, you know, this is so therapeutic for me, even going back down memory lane like this, you know? And he said, it is, it's very therapeutic. It, it just opened my mind and heart to a lot of different things. It touched me also because... There was days that we might, when we first started out, we were working together and she would ask Cheryl something, then she would ask me the same thing. And uh, a couple of times, Cheryl was sitting over there and I could see it was a very sensitive kind of question that, you know, Lori was trying to get the understanding and clarity on. And uh, Cheryl would tear up and it, it bothered me too. You know, so that happened a couple of times, I think, in, in, in the writing of the story. I had told Cheryl one time that uh, I was going to go to Dr. Phil. I was going to write Dr. Phil and have Dr. Phil on it or be on Dr. Phil's show. Cheryl had <laughs> said, no, no, I'm not going to Dr. Phil. Yes, he said, I want to go. I said, no way, no. Yeah, I don't blame you. I mean, you're like, no, thank you. <laughs> that would be a lot of excitement. Yeah. Yeah. What about your children? How did they handle all of this when it first happened? And how have they handled the book? All of it. They were from the beginning. They were like, oh, wow, daddy, you did what? You know, because when we first went to see Bobby, we were all in tears and crying. And the boys were telling him, dad, stop crying. Stop crying. We're here. We're going to be with you. And he said, I'm just so overjoyed that, you know, you all taking it like this, you know. Like, you know, I didn't know how Bobby was feeling either. You know, if he was overwhelmed, you know, I know I felt overwhelmed. But at that moment, at that time when it first happened, I just wanted him to know that I was with him and that we were going to be all right. We're going to make we're going to get through this. That's how I wanted him to know. I just wanted him to know that he had that support from us, you know. But the kids, they they would say things like um, my oldest daughter, because she found out everything. You know, she looked everything up and then she was telling us what happened. She said, oh, my God, mommy, daddy, he, he's, a, he's a smart guy. Like, <laughs> that's what she was saying to me. And, you know, the boys, they were calling him gangster. And he was like, oh, no, please, nothing like that. He was like, no, no, um, that's not it. And I don't want y'all thinking like that, you know. But so they we were all, he was for, they were for him. They were for his father. They were loving him and they still wanted, they wanted things to get better for him. And that had to be such a nice feeling, Bobby, to know that Cheryl and your kids were so supportive. Yes. Yes, it was. Being in that jail is a real lonely, lonely experience. You know, I wasn't trying to be friendly with many people. I mean, I spoke to people, but, you know, I was uh, about, you know, trying to get myself out of there and uh, 
they were there for about three weeks and, you know, they read the Bible and talked to us and, you know, just found out things and prayed for us. So that helped a lot. Oh, that's good. It's nice when you have support like that. One of the things that really struck me was how slow the whole process is. That and also the fact that you just would be transferred without even knowing it was coming or knowing why, but everything just gets completely taken out of your control. Yes, yes. That has to be so frustrating. Yes, they do not let you be in control of uh, anything. You know, they have programs there to, you know, for you to join. It's supposed to give you a um, positive kind of uh, reaction to that, that you're making progress in your prison life, that you are doing the things that, you know, will help you as you go forward like that, you know. But then on the other hand, they'll put things in front of you, like one temp- one guard tell me one thing and another guard tell me another thing, both related to the same thing, but yet still, if I don't do what the second guard, you know, say to do, you know, I, I, I disobeyed a direct order. I'm like, I, I, I don't get that, you know, but that, that happened to me. And uh, I was called out because they, I was accused of calling a, a captain a name, you know, moved to another job behind that. Well, yes, and vindictive guards making up stories and always their word going to be taken over yours. Oh, yes. I just thought, oh. Yeah. But even once you knew you were paroled and it was before Thanksgiving and you weren't out until January, you're just biding your time. And you mentioned you didn't want anybody to know because you didn't want somebody to sabotage it. You just wanted to make sure you were on your way. Yes. Yes. That can easily happen there. Which is such a shame. Yeah. Well, is there anything else I haven't asked that you'd like to tell about your story? I would like to say that forgiveness is very important. Like I said before, everybody has a past and that. It doesn't make you who you are today, you know. We can always move on and move, be better, you know, and forgive people of things that they've done. Like, everyone deserves a second chance. That's how I feel. And be kind to one another. That's a super important message today with as much anger and frustration and just vitriol that we're seeing everywhere. I think to remember to forgive. And that, you know, your mistakes are not who you are, but also just to try to be kind and realize that people have a lot going on. Yes. Yes. Well, I thank you both so much for speaking with me today. I thoroughly enjoyed your book and I can't wait for others to read it as well. All right. Thank Thank you you very much. much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you like this episode, and I hope you did, please consider joining my Patreon as a page turner. Follow me on Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. The book discussed today can be purchased at the Conversations from a Page bookshop storefront, and the link is in the show notes. Thanks to Maggie Garza for sponsoring this episode, and I hope you'll tune in next time. My name's Adam Sokol, and I'm the host of the Passions and Prologues podcast. Every week, best-selling authors like Jenny Jackson, Rebecca Mackay, Lisa Scottolini, or Brad Meltzer come on to my show to talk about, yes, their new books, but more importantly, the things that they're crazy passionate about. We've talked about the Muppets, powerlifting, traveling, gardening, home improvement, and so much more. We dig into why these things are their passions, how they inspire their writing, 
and where they came to fall in love with these random assorted things. Be sure to subscribe to the Passions and Prologues podcast wherever you get your podcasts and check out evergreenpodcast.com to learn more.